Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you, and it is wonderful to really be in our summer series now and, and get into the summer feeling, and uh, it's great to have you all here today, and uh, we're thankful for you joining us on the line as well as we head into the third part of our trilogy in the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts since September of last year, and we've been traversing through it. Yeah, we stopped for our Christmas series, but um, here we are now in the, in the final part of the book, and it truly is an exciting part, and I'm looking forward to this. We set it up like a trilogy, as well as leveraged words in each of the parts of the series. The first one, pioneers launching out, whatever, whenever, however. And then we went on the missionary journeys, and we were just sojourning. We were just going through, passing through town to town, and we followed Paul, as well as Silas, Timothy, and many other guys. And, and we were missional, transitional, and intentional with our time period. And we learned how to navigate life through the various things that come our way. And now we're here to be voyagers. Paul is setting his course. He's going to go to Jerusalem and drop off this gift that he has collected. He is determined to do so. But then he's headed to Rome. And there, he feels God has called him. And you, if you're visiting with us today, or whether you've been with us through the whole series, we're going to voyage to his destination. You know, in marketing, I'm going to give a little bit of some of my background um, I, I did multiple classes in marketing. I just found it fascinating. But there's a rule of three in marketing. They say that things are more well-received and trusted if they're given out in threes. And so they call it the rule of threes. So you'll see car companies at times, um, they'll launch three different cars at the same time. You'll just see this rule of three pop up more than you know. When you're aware of it, you'll watch and you'll see even in marketing, oh, yeah, look at that, the rule of three. Well, if you're a project manager in here or an administrator or anybody who has to order things, prepare things, or get things ready for a certain event or date, well, then you know there's also a principle of three in preparing for something. Now, we found this out even more, though, than other times when building our day camp sets. Now, I want to encourage you after the service today, if you feel like walking out that way and head down to our other building, you'll see our kids set that um, was just wrapped up. I mean, we got boats in it. We have helicopters and, and everything, and, and it's all finished up. But we've learned something in putting these sets together. You can have, in the principle of three, two of the aspects, but you can't have all three. And here's what I mean. It's called... Good, fast, or cheap, okay? You can have good, and you can get it fast, but it won't be cheap. You, you, you can have fast and cheap, but it won't be good. And you can have cheap and good, but it's gonna take a while, so it isn't gonna come fast. And when you understand that principle of three, it affects your timelines, your scheduling, how you lay out the project. Because, hey, we need this and we need it now. Well, then you're going to have to pay the extra shipping. We got to get this done and we need time to do it. Well, then it's got to take a while. We got to get it started now. We can't do this at the last minute. Good, fast, or cheap. So, so what are our three words for voyagers? We got whatever, whenever, however. We've got missional, transitional, intentional. What are our words for voyagers? 
Our words are going to be ready, willing, and able. These, I have found, are the marks of a voyager. See, a voyager isn't someone who talks about what they're going to do their whole life. A voyager isn't that mom who says, someday I'm going to do a little bit of a side hustle. A voyager does it. A voyager isn't that guy who says, you know, in the future, I'm going to learn how to do this, or I'm going to write the book, or I'm going to do that. A voyager sets its course. And you have made times in your life where you've set a course to do something. But a voyager sets out. A voyager doesn't spend their entire summer wondering which college they're going to go to. They go, I'm going to that one. Here I go. So what do they know? How are there people who walk around this earth with decisive decision-making skills when others seem to struggle through that? What does a voyager grasp? Well, a voyager understands something. They may be ready. They might be willing, but they're not able. They might be willing. They might even be able, but they're not ready. And so this ready, willing, and able, not only do I want to make these our anchor words, I'm going to base them on anchor verses. Ready. I put an exclamation mark by it. A voyager is a visionary that is ready to accomplish the task. Our anchor verse will be Hebrews 12:2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured this cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The voyager sets out for the joy of ahead of him. You'll hear people say, I just don't know if we're ready to have kids. I got a heads up for you, young parents. You're never ready, okay? You're never ready. But it's great. And you can set out for the joy. Ready. There's an enthusiasm to a voyager. I love this quote. Yes, a ship is safe in harbor. But that is not why ships are built. Yes, it's safe in the harbor. But it's not why you build a ship. You build the ship to go out into the deep. And for a voyager called by God, they need to be ready to fix their hope on their destination, on their desired goal, despite what challenges, discouragements, and arguments might come their way. But I also know something else about voyagers. They're willing. And I put dot, dot, dot. Whenever you see a dot, 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 you know there's more coming. Some of you younger people in here, you know when you text somebody and then you look and you see that they're actually responding right now and you quick go off so they don't know you're watching. And then you check again to see if they're still going. Oh, they're still going and they don't go back. You see them coming back to you. Well, in, in life, when you put the dot, 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 it means there's gonna be a process to this. It's not gonna be overnight. Yes, there's enthusiasm. You might be ready, but are you willing? Are you willing to count the cost of what this decision might mean? Are you willing to take some losses on the way? Are you willing to see what could happen, but also evaluate what might happen that could be dangerous? See, a voyager is not only ready, they're willing. Uh, Romans 12.1 will be our anchor verse. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice sacrifice this holy acceptable god that's your spiritual worship there is going to be some elements in your life and in your faith journey that are going to take some risk in your minds and it's going to be how will i handle this risk 
but I love this quote. Unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. Are we living such comfortable lives, not willing to sacrifice anything, that we never need faith? Ready, willing, able. I put a question mark. Have you ever set out on a, on a journey where you're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able? Have you ever done that? Like, I, I mean, I might be able. I'm not sure if I can, but, but I want to do this. And then you start to evaluate, are we able? Am I able to do this? Is this something that can be done? Philippians 4, 12 through 13 will serve as our anchor verse. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, Paul says, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. But this is the verse, and many people have this memorized, right? I can do all things, what? Through Christ who gives me strength. I enjoy this quote. In order to truly live, you often must do things that make you truly afraid. So what is it that you might be ready to do? What is it that you're thinking about whether you're willing to do it? And what is it have you evaluated? Am I able to do it? Voyagers say, let's do this. Voyagers count the cost. And voyagers have faith in a very big God who enables them to do things they're not thinking they're capable of. So I want to ask you today, as we launch into our new series, Voyagers, where in your life might you be ready, willing, able? How do you calculate that? I had a chance, um, even in this week, to discuss this concept with um, many different people who, who say, Chris, a lot of folks really don't have an understanding of how to calculate risk in their life. And so I wanted to go to some people who take risks in business and practice and things and hear how they think and how they process their decision-making. I remember one time I got invited to go cliff jumping into water, okay? And it was up in the Scroon Lake area by Word of Life. There were some counselors that were going to go do this. And um, some of you know that Lake George area and all that stuff. And I, and I was invited, and it wasn't really my game. I don't love heights, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a mess with it, but I really don't like them, okay? If I have a choice, I'm not going to do it. But they were all jumping into water. And so here's where I ask you, what is your risk tolerance like? Now, for some of you, you are very willing to risk your body. Maybe you played safety for your high school football team, okay? For some of you, you're very willing to risk the weather, and you go out, and, and you plan a hunt, and, and you head out at 4 a.m. in the morning. It doesn't matter if you fall asleep. You had a good time if it poured anyway. You all have different risk tolerance. Some of you are golfers, and your different risk tolerance and how you approach a hole changes from hole to hole. Some of you kids go into video game rooms and take as much risk as possible in the hopes of that toy at the end of the thing. We all have different risk tolerances, whether it be in business or whether it be with finances. Some of you are very conservative with it. Some of you are like, throw it at that. Let's see what happens. What are your risk tolerance levels like? And the reason I say that is because we all have to make decisions in life. And one of the ways that I have learned to evaluate decision-making where I don't know the outcome is the process ready, willing, and able. And so today what I want to do is inspire us in those times when we have a decision to make. And people we love and trust are saying, I wouldn't do that. Then what do you do? 
Oh, I don't know. That seems dangerous. What do you do when you're a young couple and you say, we're going to send our kid to that school and your parents go, oh, I want it. That's a mistake. What what do you do when you feel God's leading you to do something and and other people come up to you and say, I I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. What do you do when someone comes up and says, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And you're kind of like, I don't know if I should. You're all going to make decisions at some point in your life and how you make those decisions biblically and how you calculate the risk in those decisions is imperative to not only your future, but sometimes the ripple effect your poor decisions can have on others. Am I in or out? Do I buy or sell? Do I go or stay? How do I make those decisions? Well, I say Follow the example of voyagers. One of the greatest stories I think in scripture is of, in my mind, a voyager. It happened in the Old Testament in the book of Samuel. It's a great little story. I love these nuggets in the Old Testament. It it happened, there were two cliffs on either side and there was this valley in between. The area was called Michmash, okay? And, And on one side of the mountain, Saul is gathered there hiding from the Philistine armies who are on the other side of the mountain. And so the tall, strapping Saul is hiding in caves, okay, because of the apparent danger on the other side of the cliff. And they've been there for an extended time period, some 600 soldiers all hiding. And the Philistine garrison is on the top of the other hill. Now, within that Israelite camp, There was Saul's son. His name was Jonathan. And Jonathan took a look around at this situation of all these soldiers who are God's army and they're hiding. And he said, this isn't what God would want us to do. We have been called to eliminate the the Philistines. Oh, but their armors are mighty and the soldiers are hiding. Well, Jonathan, knowing he wouldn't be allowed to do this, takes a risk. He goes up to what is called his armor bearer. He comes up to him and he says, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave without anybody knowing. And we're going to go, you and I, and we're going to attack the Philistine army. Who's in on that mission? Um, um, Guess who was that armor bearer? He's like, I'll go wherever you go. I'll follow your heart. That's what armor bearers did. They went after him. It was like the greatest caddy of all time, right, guys? And, and, and I'm coming. Where are we going? And this armor bearer gets his armor, and, and Jonathan says, we're going to go towards the Philistines. And there's like, there seems to be this inquisitive thought. There's a lot of them. How do we know God is for us? Jonathan says, hmm, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll give this plan to God. I'm going to go to the edge of the mountain with you. If they say, we're coming down, We'll stand firm, and that's probably our call to not go up. But if they, like, call us up after them, God's given us the mountain because we're going to ascend, and we'll go, and we'll take him out. Armor bearer looks at him. Great stories. Let's go. And so Jonathan heads towards the edge of the camp, leaves. Dad's back. (laughs) Okay? I so often read these stories and say, God, don't let me be this all. Don't let me be it. Jonathan's out. He gets to the edge, and the Philistines start mocking him. Oh, look at the Hebrews. They came out of their little caves. 
Oh, it's great. The Philistines are like most of Twitter, okay? I mean, it's just unbelievable. They're just absolute trolls, you know? Oh, look who came out of their caves. The Hebrews are out. And Jonathan's looking up. And they say, come up here. We'll show you a thing. Really, you can read it yourself. We'll show you a thing. And so Jonathan turns. Let's go. We got him. They say, come up here. Armor. And up they went. Jonathan took out the first 20 himself. God sends an earthquake. Because when God's kids believe he's a big God, he shows up. And all of a sudden, the Philistine army is in all sorts of disarray. Some guys start waking up back at camp. What's going on? Saul says, count. See who's gone. Jonathan's gone. And they get inspired. Now that Jonathan's up there, he's fighting for God. And they charge up the hill. Look what one person's faith can do at Mi'kmaq. He took a risk. Because scripture tells me, and this is, this is beautiful. He says this. Jonathan said to the young man who was his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of these Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or a few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. Did you hear what he said? Jonathan said, it may be. He operated and moved forth on what I would refer to, and many others have looked at this and said, maybe faith, maybe faith. I don't know if I'm able, but I'm ready. I don't know all the sacrifices, but I'm willing. And I believe in a big God. Young people, young people, you wanna have a terrible life? Have an itty bitty God, because then people are so big and scary. And they say mean things. But when you have a massive God, you go, God, why should I fear them? There's nothing man can do to me, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. I'm going to move forward in maybe faith. So how do I calculate this? How do I grab this knowledge? There's a verse that had been like kind of speaking. No, excuse me. It's not a verse. It's a quote. <laughs> that had been speaking to me for this series. It says this. Hey, hey, don't be afraid of dying. Be afraid of living with nothing to die for. That's going to serve as kind of a thought process if we move into Voyagers. Because this Voyager series, I'm going to call it, subtitle it, Against the Flow. You know, I'm just as good at forecasting as many others of you in this room. And I don't necessarily think that the things of Scripture are going to be with the flow moving into the future. Anybody else? And you're going to have to ask yourself, young person at that Starbucks at your college, am I willing to be a voyager here? Or am I going to bend on what I know is true in Scripture right now in order to stay with the flow? You're going to have to ask yourself, businessman, am I going to follow the integrity God has put in my heart or am I going to cheat the system to kind of stay ahead and make the money we need? Because we're going to come up with all sorts of justifications throughout our life. But a voyager is one who sees the danger, sees the inherent risk, evaluates it, and moves forward with the decision, having given it to God. I love this quote. A calm sea does not produce a skilled sailor. 
I pray you enjoy this journey with Paul as he heads to Rome, first to Jerusalem. We're gonna be on a boat. We're gonna traverse the seas. And we're gonna learn from Paul what it's like not just to be a pioneer, not just a sojourner, but a voyager who has set his course. He has given it to the Lord. He feels God has called him to do this and nothing is gonna stop him. Do you have something in your life that you really wanna do in this next season of it? And you've been wallowing. You've been going back and forth on whether you should. You've got some fears of what could happen. I don't know what I should do if I do this. And you're not necessarily skilled in calculating risk. Well, something I did this week is I sat down with three people that most people would pay serious money to get their decision-making skills in a master class, and I asked them to give me some of their thoughts on how they make strategic risk. One was doing a massive, multi-million dollar construction in the Lehigh Valley that many of you have gone to. Another was being asked to demolish a 34-story building on a boardwalk in Atlantic City, and he was the risk manager of the project. And the other was an engineer and designer for Grumand that was part of NASA's Apollo mission. And he shared with me what he did attaching Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin to the lunar module. And I'm gonna share with you three instances of those guys where they talked about how depending on faith, taking calculated risk and going somewhere and doing something that no one else has done and it would be very visible to all if it failed. Heavenly Father, inspire us to be voyagers today. Inspire us to set out on the sea that you have. Fear is a liar. Fear is the devil's tool and the devil loves cowards. They're easy for him. He can manipulate them and slam them into seclusion. But I'm talking to God's kids today. And God's kids have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe as we sit under the word of God and we hear from him, that there is gonna be something that wells up inside all of us today to say, I've been called to so much more than worry, anxiousness, and indecision. God, put in me a voyager spirit. Put in me a voyager heart. Help me to set a course and finally get this thing done that I've struggled with so long. Lord, I don't know if someone's called to a project out here today and they're gonna set a course. I don't know if someone is called to confront a habitual sin in their life that they have been struggling with since infancy, it feels. I don't know if it's someone who has got to get through this addiction and just feels like they can't. I don't know if it's just Someone going, is it time for me to do this and step out in faith? God, put a voyager spirit in your children today because they have a big God who wants to go with them. In your name we pray, amen. Now, last time we saw Paul, he was on the side of a beach and he was saying, I've gotta go. It was a sojourner sunset, it was landing. And he said, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit, he testifies to me, he prompts me, he's kind of, I'm feeling it in my spirit that in every city, imprisonment and affliction await me. 
He said, but I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have been received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and the grace of God. Paul has made a decision. I'm going to Jerusalem and nothing's going to stop me. God, I've given it to you. I feel you're calling me to do this. Here we go. And the next chapter, 21, it's as if Luke, our writer, gets out a nautical log and starts writing the, the aspects of the sea journey. Let me read it to you. Luke writes, and we had parted from there and we set sail. They're in Miletus last week. And we set sail and we came by a straight course. In its original language, that means the wind was at our back and we flew there. We came by a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes and from there, Patara. So you get to see the idea here. They sailed from Kos, then they went past, stopped at Rhodes and then went to Patara. Does anybody remember what Rhodes was famous for in ancient history. You, you, you see there's a lot of scholars who believe, um, based on various things, that Rhodes had one of the seven wonders of the world. Has anybody heard of what it was? You see, at their port, right where the boats would come in, there was this massive, massive statue called the Coloss. It, it, it was the Coloss of Rhodes. It was called one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So when you're thinking and we're going through this journey with Paul, I want you to picture some of the places that his boat sailed through and went as an amazing, amazing voyage through that area and through that ancient world. Luke continues, and having found a ship in excuse me, having found a ship that was crossing to Phoenicia, they needed to get to Phoenicia. You'll notice if you if you see anything about ancient maritime. They would often sometimes have to be a port for a while, wondering if a boat would go where they're going. It wasn't like this strategic thing that was set up. Oh, yep, at three o'clock, we're going to get that. They had to wait to see if there was a cargo ship going to Phoenicia. So Luke writes, we found one. We sailed across, and when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left side, so you get this feel. They're going by. There's Cyprus on the left side. We, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload it's cargo. And so Paul's getting closer to Jerusalem. He has set a course. And when they arrived, having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Wait, what? I've set a course to Jerusalem. And now he's got people going, don't go. And on top of that, don't miss this, don't miss this. And through the Spirit, they were saying, it's as if the Holy Spirit was prompting these believers to go, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. This isn't a good move. I mean, it's one thing to make decisions. It's another when people of God are disagreeing with some of your decisions. Because you're like, okay, that's the spirit. That they're feeling prompted to tell Paul, don't go on to Jerusalem. What should he do? Should he stay or should he go? He feels the spirit's prompting and pulling him and constraining him to go. But he's got believers going, don't go. When the days were ended... We departed and we went on our journey. Paul's going. He heard that. He acknowledged it, but he's going. And they all, with their wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, I love Paul's heart, we prayed and we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Paul stopped. He prayed with them. He gets it. You don't want him to go. 
but he's got to go. I remember going on trips as a youth pastor when the kids were little. Dad, don't go, don't go. It makes it 10 times worse. And you're pulling out of the church parking lot and the teens are already throwing skittles at each other. And you look up at the hill and there's your kids standing there with mom. It's hard. Paul stopped and he prayed with them because he knew this was hard, but he's got to go. And so we jump back into the nautical log and Luke says, when we finished our voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus and we greeted the brothers and we stayed with them for one day. We're getting closer to Jerusalem. They told him, don't go to Jerusalem. And on that day, we departed and we went to Caesarea. You're getting closer. And we entered the house of Philip. Oh, Philip's down here. Now, this is Philip, one of the seven. He's the evangelist. This isn't Philip the disciple. Remember, he led the Ethiopian to Christ and he baptized him. It seems like he was ministering in this area and he settled down in Caesarea. And so we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, now scholars are back and forth on why Luke added that. Four unmarried daughters. Hey, we got some single girls here, guys. I mean, what are you doing here, Luke? What's going on here? And then they prophesied. So they had given out information that was of benefit. Some scholars believe, looking back at Chronicles, that these, these girls might have been worship leaders. They were singers. Maybe a, a four-part harmony going on here. But it also seems that they've had some responsibilities in giving out information at times from the Lord. Praise God. But Luke wanted to mention it for whatever reason, and they stayed there with Philip. And while they were there, something creepy happened. A prophet named Agabus, we've heard of him already in Acts, he came down from Judea, and he came to us, and look what he did. He took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands. What's going on here? This guy comes into the house. Paul's got a belt on. He comes up to him and goes, and takes it off. If you see somebody do that to me in the floor, please come give me help. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> give me that belt. And this prophet, and prophets did weird things. I mean, they would lay on the side of cities for months at a time, right? And they were always visual and symbolic. Well, this prophet, he does this. He grabs the belt. He ties his hands. He must get down because it says he tied his hands and feet. So how do you do that with one belt? So he's doing this kind of action. And he sits there. And he looks up in Paul and says this. Look what the text says. Thus says the Holy Spirit. Wait, who? Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews of Jerusalem. This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. How many of you are out at this point? All right, we're not going. Yep, that's it. I mean, Pastor Doug came in, took my belt off and did that. I think we're not doing it. All right, that's it. We're done. That, I mean, that, that's my sign. That, Lord, I've been looking for a closed door. That's it. But Paul is so determined. He's a voyager. I have to do what God is calling me to do. But the people saw this display and said this. Oh. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Does he stay or does he go? I mean, now he's even got Luke. Luke going, don't go. Look, it says, when we, when we, the people were urging him, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul just finally speaks and he says, what are you doing? You're weeping and you're breaking my heart. 
I don't have a choice. God's calling me to this. I cannot go. That's the idea here. He says, look, guys, look, guys, I'm ready. I'm ready. I get it. He continues. I'm ready for whatever comes. I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He's ready. Now, please, please listen to this. He's not ready to go become a drummer for a band in Hollywood for Jesus. He's doing this for Jesus. Now, that might be for Jesus, but make sure it is. So often we say, God's calling me to do this, and it's absolute folly. He's saying, I am being called to do this for the name of Jesus. I'm ready, even if it means what this guy is telling me. He looked at it as a forewarning. And please make no mistake, with Paul, he was kind of a type of Christ. And so Paul, often following to Jerusalem, was an illustration of when Jesus turned his head to go to Jerusalem, it says in the Gospels. In fact, there were times where people said, don't do it. And he would even say things like, get behind me, Satan. I have to. You see, for those who are ready, they have to make those decisions. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. And we said, let the will of the Lord be done. How do you determine if you're ready to take on something? Well, talking to um, someone who built a multiple, multiple car industry, as well as... Um, established a company, multi-million dollar company in California. He said, one of the things, Chris, you want to keep in mind is the sum of your life in your decision making. You got to have a sum of your life um, processing when you're making decisions. And so I played that out a little bit by calling it your past, present, and future and how you make decisions. How do you know if you're ready? You look at your past experiences has God called me to do this? Paul says, yes, I am being called to do this. You look at your past experiences, and then you evaluate your present situation. And then you couple that with your future joys and visions of what you want to do. If you don't do that, you can walk into some very bad risk. For example, you might be here today, and you are ready to buy that car. <laughs> and you are very willing to drive it. But you're 11. <laughs> you see? When you begin to evaluate that, you understand. You might be ready. You might be willing, but you're not able. And so you evaluate on your past experience. Your present situation says not yet. But with your future joys, why not maybe put a little savings account, start getting ready for it, because you're excited about what comes. Voyagers don't look at what could be missed out Excuse me, they don't look at what could they lose. They often look at lens through what could be gained. I had a chance to, to talk extensively with a man who came into a, a boardroom and presented to a group that represented the Coca-Cola Biling Company an idea to build a baseball park in Allentown. And he said, I presented this. And they were looking at me like, okay, okay. And he said, I had it all planned out. I mean, we, we're going to have we're going to have a lot of opportunities for businesses to partner us with on the outfield walls and advertising. And we're going to put this and we're going to give back to Lehigh. They're going to get a baseball. I mean, right now the Phillies were up at Scranton, Wilkesboro. We're going to bring them into here. We're going to put them in the Lehigh. We got this great baseball field. We're going to call it Coca-Cola Ballpark. I said, did you get pushback? He laughed. <laughs> pushback? 
Absolutely. He said, we even have people that, oh, they want in, they just don't want the accountability if it fails. He said, I knew I had about three years to prove this project. Now, many of you there were there Friday night from our church enjoying that ballpark. I had talked to him that morning, and it was just neat for me to be there seeing this man's vision that he presented and how it benefited the organization. But he evaluated their past experiences. He had been very strong with taking the capital project fund up there and using it to invest into the company's growth in the area. He evaluated their present situation, and he saw that the company was in good financial position to take this kind of calculated risk. And the, for the joy set before them, thought, let's put a ballpark in there. And I don't know why they called it Iron Pigs, but we'll get into that another time. Well, I do know why. It's a marketing strategy that was brilliant. But based on that, they were ready. Voyagers don't just make decisions. Hey, jump! They have a sum of life kind of calculation they go through. How many of you are making decisions calculating these things? This is next level thinking. For a few people will know if that project failed in Lehigh. And, and to make a decision like that and bank on that is powerful trust in God for that man who loves the Lord desperately and is a dear, dear friend of mine. The log continues. Luke says that we got more. And after these days, we got ready and we went down to Jerusalem. Oh no, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I told you not to go to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea, they went with us. That's good. Always bring people along. We brought to us the house of Mason excuse me, Mnason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. So they pull into Jerusalem. They're there. Okay, they're ready. And when we had come into Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Oh, he got a great reception. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. And all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done on the missionary journeys while he was sojourning through the Gentiles in the ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs, which was not the case. That's not what Paul was doing, but that's how they were interpreting what he was doing by saying, you don't follow these religious customs to come to a faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was saying it's through faith and grace that we come to Jesus Christ, not through these customs, but they were interpreting it as Paul was rejecting his Jewish heritage and they heard about him. And that you teach this. And they go, what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. He's in Jerusalem now, and he's sitting with James. I mean, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he's saying, what are we going to do? They're going to hear that you come. And so they come up with an idea. Do therefore what we tell you to do. What are you going to tell them to do, guys? We got an idea. And this is another one of these moments. Stay or go. In or out. Buy or sell. What will he do? Well, James presents to him a pathway for how he thinks he can be in Jerusalem and maybe not die. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expense so that they may have their heads shaved. Amen to that. I, I, this is my anchor verse. No, that's not. 
Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also observe the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain. Remember the letter they sent? They should abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. But we told them, you don't have to be circumcised Gentiles. You don't have to do that. And they were like, yeah, remember that sermon? What's going on here? They're saying, Paul, here's the deal. Everyone believes, even though you don't, that you are just rejecting all of your religious forms of being a Jew. We understand your point is this. You don't come to faith through that. However, it's really going to hurt us and our mission in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ if it looks like you reject a lot of these Jewish things. And we know you don't. You even made Timothy go get circumcised for the sake of the weaker brother, if you will. So why don't you go into the temple, follow some of these customs, and, and that way you'll be able to purify yourself as well as deliver the gift that you came for. So Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and he went into the temple. We see here he was willing. Voyagers are willing. And he didn't just go in going, all right, let's go in. He listened to the plan. You hear that? A voyager... He assesses the inherent dangers. He doesn't just blindly go, all right, let's jump off. Maybe we should check the depth of the water. Maybe we should see if this is the best place to jump. They assess the risk. They look at past difficulties. Look, Paul, if you go in there and you just walk in there with the current interpretation they have of your ministry, this isn't going to go well. They present the present hazards. It's probably best if you go in with a group and they talk about the future harm. If it looks like you're blowing off everything of the Jewish culture, it's going to hurt our ministry moving forward. So they developed a plan, but there was an element of risk that still went along with it that demanded faith. See, if you might be ready and you have this great vision, but are you willing to count the cost that if it doesn't go well, it's going to be noticed that other people could get hurt? that people could feel the ramifications of your decision-making, that's why it behooves voyagers to assess risk. I had a chance to talk to one of the risk assessors, one of the persons in charge of a massive project to take down a 34-story building on the Atlantic City boardwalk. Politicians are involved. The general public wants to get onto the site. He said, one time I'm watching the news and they're doing a report in front of it and I'm looking at my construction guys making sure that we're following all the protocols while other people were just listening to the story. I'm looking at them in the background. I mean, imagine the pressure of having to implode a building in Atlantic City and have it go straight down and no one get hurt. And on top of that, other people weighing in on the project as well as people just curious, as well as a media who would be quick to point out if everything went wrong as well as the ashes and soot that can come from that and damage the surrounding companies who are ready if you fail to jump on it. I said, how did you sleep at night the night before the implosion? He laughed. You don't sleep the night before something like that. So were you there? He said, no, I actually was watching from headquarters when we imploded the building. And he said, and as it was going down, there were so many people that were coming onto the site to watch it that it crashed our internet at headquarters and I didn't get to see it as it's coming down. So I'm like, 
And I got guys on the ground texting me, it's down, we did it, it went great, everything's, but I haven't seen it yet. He said, it came back on, and my greatest concern, and the one I had asked the Lord for, is like, would you send the soot out to the ocean? And it did, it went right out to the Atlantic Ocean. He was celebrating the Lord, and I thought, wow. People have no idea the kind of decisions people have to make that are right here in your neighborhood. And the pressure's on them. And what if that project fails? And so in order to do that, before the time, how much preparation went into that? He said, listen, if you're going to be an innovative company and you're going to take on things that no one else has done, you have to go back into the past and find out other difficulties other people have had. If it isn't something that's been done before, you have to look through the present hazards. We have this on the ground. We have these people doing this. We've got to get them back. We can't have this happening. We can't say yes. I think we should delay it till five. No, it has to be at this time. Yeah, but there'll be a lot more press coverage at that. It has to be at this time. You have to make decisions. Future harm. What could happen if this goes? And he said, you have to process all that out in your risk assessment. See, voyagers don't just jump. They process the inherent risk. Paul said, I've done it. I'm willing to go. And he headed into the temple with the men and giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Scripture says this, that when the seven days were almost completed, that was the process of the purification. Paul's in the temple. It's going okay. But the seven days have to be completed before he, he's dropped off the gift, everything. But they saw him. They spotted him. The Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, and they cried out, men of Israel, help, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this people. Ah, oh, Paul, you were so close. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And Luke gives us a little inside information. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. He's even bringing Greeks and Gentiles and defiling the temple. And all the city was stirred. And the people ran together. And they seized Paul and they dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were slammed shut. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to Paul? He set out on this voyage. He's in Jerusalem. He's operating. He's ready, God. He stepped out in faith and he followed you. He was willing to take whatever would come his way. And now he is grabbed. Hands are laid on him and he's thrown away. And at once the gates are shut. Have you ever read ahead and knows what happens on the end of Acts, how the rest of Acts goes? It's exciting, isn't it? Well, you're going to have to keep coming back for the series because I put a dot, dot, dot there for a reason. That's where we're going to stop today because I want to point out that a voyager is ready, willing, but he's also able. He's able. Question mark. Will Paul make it? Will Paul's God step up for him or will Paul's God allow him to be killed and bring him home? What's going to happen? See, someone, when they're processing whether they're able to accomplish something, Maybe you want to start out a new business venture and you don't know if you're able. There's a process that you need to go through as well. You need to evaluate the past and have a past analysis. In the past, have you been able to handle high pressure situations? No, I haven't. Well, then you're going to have to probably surround yourself with help. According to your present capabilities, are you able to pull this off? Do you have the degree that it would take to pull this off? 
Have you gotten the education you need for people to listen to your opinion? Have you gone through the experience necessary for someone to trust you with the project? Do your present capabilities enable you to do this? And then how do you base your future calculations? Am I able to do this moving forward based on what I see possibly happening? Should I move forward? How do you do something that no one else has done and you don't know if you're able or not? How do you do that? That was the question I asked our rocket scientist, if you will. He talked about the time when he worked on the Apollo project. Specifically, the lunar module was his part as he worked for Grunt. He said the Saturn V would go up and the lunar module would come off of that. And we would build out the mathematics on whether we could land it on the moon. He said the USSR had just flown around the moon and put themselves ahead of the United States. And he said, we had direct orders from John F. Kennedy that the United States will be the first ones to put a man on the moon. And so it was our responsibility, a five-year process, to figure out how to fly someone up into space at thousands of miles an hour, have a module break off, land on a moon that nobody's ever landed on, then take back off, and at thousands of miles an hour, catch up with the other vessel, connect, and come back to Earth, and safely land with the whole world watching. No pressure. He said, and they worked. The mathematics at that time were hand and paper, guys. It wasn't computers. And he said, every time we would get the mathematics right, we would send up ships, we'd send them around the moon, so we know how to do that. Now we're gonna have to land something. He said, there were so many test runs getting the mathematics right, and then the game always changed. They'd come back, and the weight of the Saturn V would be a different weight. Okay, now your calculations are all wrong. Start over. Okay, it's gonna be this weight now, because they were always seeking to decrease weight, but it took a lot to propel something up that high and then bring it back and have humans on board. He said, but my specific role was to construct and design the umbilical cord, if you will, from the lunar module to Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin specifically. And he said at that time, in the electric world, it was a P or a J, a plug and a jack. And he said, it was my responsibility to label the plug that would be in the module and then the jack that would be on the astronaut. And he said, so as I was working through this, they said, I can name it whatever I wanted to name. And I thought, this is the astronaut's lifeline. If, if the communication to the lunar module is broken down from the astronaut, this is his lifeline. He's not going to be able to do this without his lifeline. He said, so you know what I did? I knew what he did, but I love hearing it every time. He said, I labeled the jack J316. And you can look up your United States history and see that because of one of our own in our church, Neil Armstrong's jack said J316, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, why'd you do it, Frank? I wanted him to be connected to the lifeline. Amen? Amen. Frank's here today, and I love you, brother. J316 connected him. If you're a conspiracy theory, you need to talk to Frank. He'll tell you it's fine, all right? (laughs) J316. Folks, this is the power 
that Paul understood that we need to know as voyagers. Apart from Christ, how much can you do, Scripture says? Nothing! But through Christ, we can do all things. But we've got to be connected to the source. And a voyager understands, before I start out on a risk, I do need to ask myself, am I ready based on my past experience, present situation, and future joys to move forward? Am I willing based on my past difficulties, my present threats, and my future dangers to move forward? Am I able based on my past analysis, present capabilities, and future calculations to move forward? Because if not, we'll not walk into sin, we'll, we'll jump into sin. I heard an illustration of a guy who was trying to get over alcohol, but he drove by the bar every night and he was addicted to it. How is he going to survive if he's driving by it every night? I heard an illustration of a guy. He said, it's kind of like this. You say, I'm not going to eat a donut ever again. Okay, Lord, I'm not going to eat a donut again. And then he said, I made that prayer. And then I drove by a donut shop. Oh, I smelled it. You think he's going to win? Oh, I drive by it a second day. He said, and then I made a commitment to God the third day. If I drive by that donut shop, I will not pull in there unless, Lord, you open up a parking spot. <laughs> do you see how we do that sometimes? This guy's not able. He said, I drove by that donut shop, and what do you know? A parking spot opened on the eighth time around. See, see, we say we want to overcome things, but a voyager has to make resolve. And they also have to include Christ in it. And so I want to encourage you today. We're not going to give you everything for voyagers, but I want you to step out in faith, not fear, this week as we start our journey over the next few months in, excuse me, the next month or so, this summer, in, so, in, in voyagers. Because one of the tools I've used in decision-making is I ask myself every time when I'm not exactly sure what we should do, but we have to make a decision. We kind of put a date in God's map. We say, God, we think this date we're going to make this decision. And we believe this is the right thing based on our past, present, and future knowledge of the situation. We're ready we're willing, we're not sure we're able, but we're going to move forward. I do that part, and then I put it under this microscope. And it's what I want to leave you with today. I want to give you some practical thinking for this week. Am I operating in my decision-making based on fear or faith? Fear or faith? There's two rocks before us. There's the rock that we go and hide inside, or there's the rock we say, let's go. God has given it to us. So I ask this, do I have maybe faith in my life? Am I operating in fear or faith? And I want to give you five characteristics if you're operating in fear and five characteristics if you're operating in faith. And if you've seen yourself on the fear side, don't let the devil win. Ask for forgiveness and move forward in faith. If you see yourself on faith, praise God, stay there. Here they are. Fear is self-protecting. Fear is self-protecting. That's what fear is. Fear always thinks, protect myself, okay? The enemy loves it, okay? 
Faith. Faith is, this looks dangerous, but I know God would want me to do this. I'm going to step out and sacrifice even me if that's what it takes. Faith is self-sacrificing. Fear is self-protecting. Faith is self-sacrificing. Now, I want you to make sure you stay in context. I'm talking about taking calculated risks for God to do big things for him. There are situations in your life where prudence says protect. There are situations in your life where prudence says do not move forward. A prudent man sees danger and takes caution. I would argue a prudent man sees that danger and then evaluates based on his past, present, and future the caution he should take as he continues to move forward. Because fear wants to cripple you. Faith wants to propel you. Fear asks a question. Fear always says, what am I going to lose? What am I going to lose? I mean, we can lose a lot here. Okay, I'm going to lose a lot. Fear always asks that question. Faith. What do we have to gain if we move forward? I mean, what do we have to gain if we move forward this in great faith? Fear avoids the problem. You know what? Don't talk about that this, this year. Hey let's, leave, hey, let's sweep that under the rug. Hey, let's not do it. Fear avoids the problem. Fear thinks the problem will go away. How many of you live long enough life to know the problem doesn't go away? Faith. Heavenly Father, I know this isn't right. I know we've got to address this. I'm going to move forward in faith and confront the problem. Fear avoids it. Faith confronts it. Fear, fear seeks an exit every time. Faith seeks an entrance. Fear looks ahead, forecasts potential danger, and goes, I got to get out of this before. Oh, I got to start slipping back. I got to get away from this. Fear is always looking for an exit out of it. Where faith goes, if they give me the opportunity, God, I'm going to make everything of it. I know it's not my position yet. I know they haven't been using me. But if I get the opportunity, I'm going to get in there and do it for you, God. And then finally, fear brings hesitation. Fear, I just don't know what to do. I mean, there's four good colleges. They're all great. I just don't know what to do. I'm like so stressed out about it. Shut up! Okay, jeez. Hun. You don't even understand the pressure I have to deal with at work. I mean, I got to do this and then this. I mean, I don't even know. I, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. That's what fear does. You're probably processing. Other people are going to think poor of me if I make a mistake. Other people are going to do this. I could lose this. I, I, could, I could do that. Okay, I'm just going to hide. I'm just going to get away from it. That's what fear wants to do. And the devil loves a coward. They're not going to do anything big for God. They're just going to go run and hide in that cave. But the Jonathans, the voyagers in this life, there's not a ton of them. Young people, I'm calling you out. There's not a ton of them. We need you. I don't believe that as we go into the next 10 years, you're going to be going with the flow and be accepted if you're going to stand up for God. But voyagers, faith brings initiation. I'm going up there because I know it's not right for us to be down here. They're operating in fear. We've got to step out in faith. You coming? And that's why I'm going to pray for you that you have an armor bearer that goes, where are we going? We're going to the hill. What are we going to do? We're going to see if they call us up. Then what? I don't know. But maybe God will be there for us. Amen.
and they went to that mountain. This, this summer, join with me as we voyage. Learn about risk tolerance with big faith. And I have given you a formula for all your decision makings now. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Are you willing? I'm not really willing. That's a lot of sacrifice. I mean, I want a job, but they make you work 40 hours a week. Am I able? You know what? I've never been able. Well, maybe then you need to get plugged in to the power source. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone in here today who does not know Jesus as their personal Savior, I pray that even this day they'd say, Lord, it's time for me to link up. I am so tired of being ready and willing but never able in my own strength, and I need yours. I've been trying to get over this sin, God, since I was 14, somebody might say. Lord, I've been a mom for nine years, and I just know you're asking me to write more and give back to more moms, but I just, I, I just don't know if I'm ready. I'm willing, God, but I don't know if I'm ready. God, I think it's time for me to move on. I don't have the same passion and the same burdens I once had, God. But I'm not sure I'm willing to deal with all that's gonna come of it. But I'm gonna step in faith. Lord, I'm afraid, if I'm so honest, that I won't be able to get good grades in college this fall. I'm willing, I'm ready, but I'm not sure I'm able. God, we believers, we're getting so tired of trying to do things in our own strength. I wish we would all wake up. I wish I would wake up and learn. Apart from you, we can't do anything. May it change our prayer life. May it change our risk evaluation. May it change the way we make decisions all together and say, God, I'm ready, whatever, whenever, however. I'm willing to be missional and intentional. And I don't know if I'm able, but I know through Christ, connected to my life, I can do all things through his strength. So Lord, teach us this, this, this summer, not to voyage in our own strength. It will be a, a lesson in failure. But may us learn from Paul and these voyagers to launch out in faith through you. Amen.